Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Surrounded by a million people I still feel all alone Just wanna go home Oh, I miss you, you know And I've been keeping all the letters That I wrote to you Each one in line too I'm fine, baby, how are you? Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. My special guest this hour is Greg Myers. Uh, Greg is with uh, Paranormal, uh, Missouri Paranormal Research. And hey, Greg, how are you doing? Hey, Rob, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. What's new, thrilling, and exciting uh, besides this uh, documentary entitled Children of the Grave? Tell us about it. Uh, Children of the Grave is a Booth Brothers on Twin Talk production. They're the same ones that did Spook, the way we um, it's basically a horror documentary. Its focus is on children, ghosts, um, i.e. orphanages, um, children's tragic deaths, and the remnants of what's left behind from those. And it's out on DVD now. And also it should be showing on Sci-Fi, I think, in the early spring of uh, next year. Wow. Tell us, um, how did you get involved in it? Uh, can you share with us a few of the uh, cases that you worked on? 
Actually, it was interesting. We just got contacted out of the blue. They saw some of our cases and mm-hmm. some of our evidence on the on our website. And a couple of the cases that they did with us on the major segments, um, one was the Pythian Castle down in Springfield, Missouri, which um, was built by the Knights of Pythias and was a children's orphanage when it was first built and mm-hmm. it was later used to house World War II prisoners um, that they would actually bring in like higher ranking officers for interrogation, the Germans, the Italians, also the Japanese. And then later it became a medical facility and was left abandoned and then um, the current owner came in from California, bought it and renovated it and is bringing some culture and arts into it along with, you know, the paranormal which exists there. And that's one the, one of the first places we filmed at. The second place is our urban legend area here near my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri, um, called Zombie Road, which has a wealth of tragedy that stems back several decades. Tell me, uh, is, the, is the interest in the paranormal still growing, Greg? Yeah, it seems this year it's even higher than last year. There's more shows on television, yeah. more documentaries being done that are showing on television and cable networks and satellite, as, as well as uh, there's more documentaries coming out that aren't being shown, but just being sold on the Internet. So it's a, quite like um, a ghost renaissance. Yeah. You know, here we are uh, two days before Halloween, and um, do you find more and more people share the interest in ghosts as we get closer to Halloween, and then do you notice a... A dec- decrease in the uh, the attention of ghosts? Well, that's, that's somewhat true. It doesn't decrease as much as it used to during the off, um, I guess, Halloween season or the fall season. But building up into the fall season, there, there is a heightened interest. And we get a lot of emails just for people sharing stories, asking questions, wanting our stories, as well as investigations. It seems activity or the notes of activity also heightens during the time frame. What's your favorite ghost story? Oh, that's a that's a rough one. Mm, I guess the Bell Witch of Tennessee, you know, is a good one. So that is possibly the first documented case uh, where the other side or the paranormal actually resulted in the death of a human. That was All right, why don't we talk about this on the other side of the uh, commercial break that we have to take, Greg? Greg Myers is our very special guest. Uh, www.paranormaltaskforce.com is uh, their website, or you can always uh, visit the MPR on MySpace, www.myspace.com forward slash catch my ghost. And if you'd like to find out more about Children of the Grave, visit their website at www.childrenofthegrave.com. one 877 is our toll-free number. And uh, when we come back from this two-minute break... Greg Myers will be sharing his favorite ghost story with us as we continue live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network. Don't go away.
Greg Myers is our very special guest, www.paranormaltaskforce.com. And if you'd like to get more information on the Spooked Productions horror documentary, Children of the Grave, their website is www.childrenofthegrave.com. All right, Greg, what is your favorite story? The favorite story would be the Bellwood story, um, which is from Tennessee. That was um, the one that the movie last year, The American Haunting, was based on. Greg, you're going to have to speak up. I'm having a heck of a time trying to hear you here. Oh, okay. You can hear me better, Rob? Much better. Thank you. Okay. No, I was just saying it's the Bellwitch, um, the Tennessee story, the one that the American Haunting movie last year was mm-hmm. based on. It's probably one of my favorite stories because it actually resulted in what people believe the actual death of a human in that case that the spirit caused. Now, is this the first uh, first case where a human was actually killed by a spirit? The first documented case. So, in a sense, I guess the answer would be yes on that. Wow. Now, throughout your years investigating the paranormal, Greg, has there been one case that you've worked on that that has, that sticks out in your mind as the case that has more evidence pertaining to the paranormal than all the other cases combined? Um, in my personal investigations, that would stem back to the Tri-County Restaurant case on mm-hmm. South 66th and Villa Ridge, Missouri. I remember you playing us clips on that. Yeah, that was the one we discussed a while back. Yeah, that that was that was freaky. We haven't encountered really anything that would top evidence on that yet. The zombie road would be close, especially now with the movie. Mm-hmm. And his brother, Mickey Bates, was a thousand that from the Louisville Ghost Hunter Society. And they brought in some thermal imagers and some other high-tech equipment. Mm-hmm. And they, they obtained captures down there as well. Um, so that's stacking up also in the capture department. So it would maybe be a toss-up between the two at this time. Greg, when you, when you're when you go out with uh, with Steve and you do your investigations, um, do you do you each take separate roles? For example, do you um, do you decide all right, Steve? I'm going to take the EVPs this time. You take the videos, uh, or do you do you delegate with your team who's going to do what, when, where, and why? Um, yes, we do. Actually, there's been a little change in the teams. Um, Stephen Lachance, um, he separated from the team. Oh, he um, did? Yes, he did. Oh, He's on his own now. He's a producer um, with a radio show locally, which is eating up a lot of time. And mm-hmm. He's trying to author some books and other projects. But he's still doing private consultation and extreme cases. Oh, give him my best, will you? I will. If anybody looks for him, though, and I know some people listening here probably are, he's at www.stevenstev. E-N-A-Lachance.com. Or if they come to our website, I have a clip through on the front that goes to his site also. Mm-hmm. But the, the team structure, we're still set up the same way. Everybody has their independent jobs. We have our EVP specialists. Um, we have people who assist with the other equipment like the EMF meters, um, the temperature readings, and doing base you know, work like that. And then we also have our photographers. We utilize sensitive investigators as well. So we utilize almost any resource that we could toss in there, and it depends on the haunting on how we structure the resources going in. And that's going through a long, extensive interview process with the client, a questionnaire, and we could actually assess and, you know, do some diagnostics on the problem even before stepping in. 
Is there any new equipment that has come out recently that helps you and other investigators uh, with the paranormal? As far as new equipment, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head except possibly the new DVR systems where you can hook up four to eight cameras to. Mm-hmm. You have a hard drive component so you could operate you know, that many night shot cameras on one hard drive and let them run for hours. And those help a lot, except you need a lot more technicians, technicians and post-analysis people, you know, to go through and all that evidence because you're gathering a lot more. But that eliminates the individual setups, like in the old days of the camcorders and everything else. In mm-hmm. So on my end, that's become a very, very, you know, big thing with utilizing those. It's making the job a lot easier in a lot of ways on setup at the site. All right. Now, I know that you talk to other paranormal groups out there, and has anyone finally caught that all-conclusive photo that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that spirits do exist? In my opinion, there probably are some out there that have captured such photos, but with the amount of skepticism and criticism out there, and with us being considered a parascience, you know, scientific community mm-hmm. um, there is no cohesion in that department where everyone works together so a lot of times such captures go wayside and they you know get criticized with unintelligent responses more than not and you know that we've been victim of that ourselves yeah but um, I, th- I I thought that someone or some organization was opening up a database that was going to be accessible to all paranormal groups and that this would be a place where all the data would be put and analyzed. That that hasn't happened, I would imagine. Not that I've seen yet. There's been talk of it. There's been like little conferences and get-togethers and meetings between different groups. Uh-huh. I personally haven't partaken in those or, or haven't been invited to them yet. But the problem within the paranormal field, and you see that with any side, it doesn't matter if it's the U.S. You know, allergy side or the crypt duology or our side right that there's a lot of infighting and non-unification you know within the field itself and that creates a big problem where many times we become our own worst enemies and yeah. i hate to see that because we collectively we that's a good idea to get together have a centralized type thing mm-hmm. where the scientific community can step in help us analyze and and put more credibility to what we you know, you'd think by now that all this infighting would be over, that people would be working together. Mind you, there's still infighting in the UFO field when it comes to Sasquatch and other aspects of the paranormal. Why can't people just get along and share the information? I think it's of human nature. You have a lot of different reasons people are in, in these fields, and I think that plays a big role in, in it. You know, you have ones out there probably for the variety reasons, and there is some profit level that I haven't level, but, you know, there are some, you know, out in the circuits that have a few problems mm-hmm. with certain things, and it also But it would be nice if everybody, you know, could put, you know, all their hate aside and, and work together, and, you know, I'm sure we would come out with some very positive results if that happened. I understand that the, that the uh, paranormal investigations and uh, the UFO investigations in the Soviet Union in, in Russia work very close together, the different organizations, and they share the information. 
I mean, that's that's what I I probe in those areas a little bit because I would like to expand, you know, mm-hmm. our team, you know, outside of just the normal, you know, ghost type situations and UFOs and other things. But it does look that way that even in the Soviet Union and even parts of Europe that there's more of that centralized unification that we don't have here yet. It'd be nice to see that come here and maybe some of the other sites here are making, you know, bigger strides than what the, the Right. What do you think it'll take to get all the different organizations to work together and share the information? It's going to take a lot of meetings, um, like they're trying to do, but I think it's going to be a hard thing. We're dealing in an age where there's a heightened euphoria for this. You could have a couple people sitting on a couch watching a TV show, and the next mm-hmm. day they have a MySpace up, calling themselves a ghost hunting team or a UFO investigative group. And they're out running around many times without experience, except from what they're seeing, you know, on you know the media circle. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a hard thing to weed through and get everyone unified. It's going to take probably the people who have the most experience in the field, the ones with you know a decade here, a decade there, to get together and lay down the base platform, and then others hopefully will step up and follow. My name's Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon on the Talkstar Radio Network. Um, this portion of the Exxon is being brought to you by our good friends at Premier Psychics. Isn't it incredible? And how great it feels when you finally connect with a psychic who authentically cares and has talent. Well, at Premier Psychics, that's exactly what you will find. Great talent, great people. Visit them today at www.premierpsychics.com. That's www.premierpsychics.com. Or you can uh, call them toll-free at 1-866-803-6593. That's 1-866-803-6593. Greg Myers is our special guest. And uh, Greg is with Paranormal Missouri. And uh, their website is www.paranormaltaskforce.com. One of our listeners would like to know how you approach... A situation where there's a haunted belief to be taking place. On how to approach it? Are yes. they themselves in that situation? Or? Well, how would you? How would your organization approach a situation if they were, let's say, somebody called you and they said, "Hi, uh, I, I think I've got a haunting going in my house. In my house, would you come down and visit? How would you approach it?" The first process I would do is turn it over to one of our case managers and researchers. They would develop and send the questionnaire to them and also conduct the in-person or on-phone interview. Mm-hmm. We would sit down collectively and assess the information there and see if we need to fine-tune our detail with further interviews and witness interviews on you know, certain aspects of what's been answered. And once that's done, we would have to go in and try to rule out, of course, anything explainable. You have to rule, rule out all the explainable first to have the unexplainable left. And mm-hmm on-site investigation is needed, and many times, that's only about 50% of the time where we actually have to send a right. team in on-site. And we would go in and set up our equipment and combine, like, a passive and interactive approach within a night or within a night and, start, and so many follow-ups and we gather the evidence, go through it, and see what we have, and try to draw some objective you know, conclusions to it. Paul, stand by. You and I have to take a commercial break. My name's Rob McConnell. This is the X-Zone, and um, I'm sorry, not Paul. Greg Myers is our very special guest, 
And uh, Greg and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Back, everyone. Greg Myers is our very special guest, and uh, Greg is uh, a gentleman that we've had the pleasure of having on the show before. And Greg is the administrator for Paranormal Task Force. And uh, Greg, how long have you been involved in the paranormal? Uh, personally, I've had lifelong experiences since being a child. Um, in the field itself, it's only been a few years, actually. But we've had a lot of experience within a few years. It seems nonstop. Mm-hmm. Greg, I, children, I believe, have more paranormal experiences than adults do, um, but they don't know how to. They seem to deal with it with a with an openness and honesty that adults don't uh, necessarily do. Why is it that children, at a certain time, click them off? That's something that's not really understood. You know, I concur, concur with that, that the children, they're very open in the beginning. They mm-hmm. they see things from the other side of the veil, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing probably about 9 to 12 years old, somewhere in that period, this click, that switch goes off. And a lot of it might be a lot of times they open up to their parents, and, you know, when they're younger and their parents, you know, tell them things like, no, you don't, you don't see this. Right. Um, that's an imaginary friend, and that might force a psychological effect that just causes that switch to go. Hmm. How do you celebrate Halloween at your place? I have little wee ones myself, so actually they go out trick-or-treating for Halloween. Or we pass out candy from our house, we take turns, you know, different years. And now being involved with the paranormal, there's a lot of uh, events, you know, we get invited to for that, or mm-hmm. media in the mixture. Are there any cases that you're working on right now, Greg? Oh, yeah, we've got quite a few going on right now. Actually, it's kind of, kind of interesting because we do a lot of private client cases, you know, of extreme situations. Right. But this year, we've actually had an increase of, like, historical societies and historical places. And I'm starting to see that, you know, a lot of these historical societies, they, you know, a lot of these places do have paranormal activity there and many times you know the old timers for years would say you know they want to leave it alone Mm -hmm. they don't want to advocate that but i think they're starting to see how open the public is becoming you know i think you have what one out of four people in a lot of these surveys now or even more who believe in ghosts so it's becoming a viable thing to help re-energize their historical properties with tours and everything else so that's become like our secondary type of client 
it's also an important thing to help out and to get the youth involved with those historical places as, as well. As many, many of these societies, people are, what, 60s and 70s on average, and they're not going to be around forever. So that's something I'd like, you know, to get people out there to be aware of. You know, if you get time, you want to volunteer time, try to help your local historical society with something. That's one thing that ghost investigators and research organizations like yours does, is it keeps history alive. That's true. And I think that a lot of the... Has there ever been historical finds made by paranormal organizations? Um, what would you mean by historical finds, Rob? All right, let's say the uh, that up until this point, history has depicted this um, this part of history as ABCD. But after research by organizations like yours, there, there, there's continuation of history that wasn't known up until that point. Yeah, there are some cases when the paranormal groups get involved, they do go, you know, back further in research, or they find things in between that might mm-hmm. be Sometimes the value of the sensitive or psychic side of the field, and we do utilize them within our group. They help us, you know, for the hot spots, like locations where the paranormal activity might exist. But also the ones that are more of mediums, actually, if they make contact, they can come back with some clues, and the research followed up on those as well. Um, pans out, and so there are other groups out there like ours that probably have done that, which has found different things which the historical society has overlooked and never thought of. Now, um, prior to going out on an investigation, do you research the property? Do you uh, do you try to find as much as you can about it, and so that you're not doubling up your workload, so oh, to yeah. speak? We have a full research team and staff. We have a research coordinator. Mm-hmm. And that's all in part of the pre-investigative stage um, where they actually do extensive research with, within the courthouses, historical societies, libraries, and whatever they could pull from, old-timers, you know, witnesses around that live in the area. And we try to gather all the facts we can before going in. And many times that's a continued process mm-hmm. that continues throughout the investigation and many times afterwards. And interesting story on that that stems back to that Tri-County restaurant. I don't know if this was last time we talked to you we yes. were up to this point, but you remember something down in the basement would throw things at us. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember that. There was an incandescent light bulb one time and then actually a rusty butcher knife one time. And we kept researching and putting out feelers out there, and we actually had some old waitresses and workers that mm-hmm. are in their 60s that contacted us. And they were starting to tell us of a story of a man who used to live in the basement during that time. And his key thing is when the employees went down there, he would throw stuff at them. So it's kind of interesting how sometimes the research can answer some of your investigative questions as well in your experiences on site. Now, when a, when a spirit, quote-unquote, throws something, is it done by telekine- uh, telekinesis, or do they actually physically pick it up and toss it. Well, it depends on how you look at it. There's some theories going both ways. I guess the telekinetic method yeah. could be one method. And you have to remember, you know, a spirit is mainly energy, so they might be able to outreach their energy. In a human farm, you know, people see full apparitions, and they might be able to keep that energy together to, enough to actually pick up something and throw it. So I think either way would be very possible. What are the do's and the don'ts when it comes to ghost hunting? Do's and the don'ts. The 
biggest don't is never trespass. There's many new people, they jump in the field, they go find cemeteries, abandoned buildings. They go trespassing into them, into dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. Last year, you probably remember, there was a teenager up in Ohio that was actually shot in the head to trespass. Yes. So that's my biggest do not. The biggest do would be always take a buddy with you. You never want to go out alone. You always want someone with you in case you run into a situation where you get hurt or someone there to help you. And then you go in, you know, I could go through several other, you know, smaller do's and don'ts, but those are probably the two biggest ones out there. And do not provoke. Always show respect um, for the unknown. A lot of times if you provoke it, you don't know what's going to happen. And I've seen people, you know, hurt, you know, from the paranormal as well, pushed down, you know, picked up and thrown in the walls and the things thrown at them, um, some people getting cuts on them unexplainably. So I've been in situations where the paranormal has reached out and hurt those in attendance. If somebody listening tonight is saying, geez, you know, I, I'd really like to get involved and become a, 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 a haunted researcher, uh, what advice would you have for them? Best advice is maybe to find a local team before you try starting your own. Mm-hmm. Um, search out, do some research on the teams in your area. Contact your leaders to see if they have some type of apprentice program or some type of a, like a tag-along program where you can go along. And first, see if you like doing it. Many times, paranormal research and investigations, to some people, could be the most boring thing out there to do. And then by going along with another team, they might find their special little area they want to focus in. Because I view like our team as almost like a business or corporation. Um, there's a lot of people out there might just want to do research, mm-hmm. might just want to do post-evidence analysis or just work with audio or video, and it gives them the chance to see what different things are out there to do and what they might want to you know, become interested in and pursue further. So there's always something to do in the world of the paranormal. Oh, yeah. A lot of teams out there could even use help with like website designers mm-hmm. and everything else. There's, there's a multitude of things people could do. Shannon, who's listening to us in Alaska, would like to know if you prefer analog tape recorders or digital tape recorders for EVP. Ah, that's a good question. Because I just got back from the Chicago conference where I spoke at, and Brian Leffler, who you know as well from Minnesota, mm-hmm. he's called Mr. Analog. So we get into that debate quite frequently. I like utilizing both. I like having the analog and the digital aspects there at the same time. There's been things that have been good that we've captured on analog, and there's been some things equally as good on digital. So I think they both have a very important role in the field, and especially with digital um, video and other types of media where you don't have the consumables. Those are very good for your interviews um, and documenting other notes as well. So that's a personal preference of who's out there in the field, but I like both. I won't pick one over the other. All right, how about uh, these voice-activated tape recorders? Are, do, are they any good, uh, and do they actually work when it comes to EVP? I do not utilize voice activation. I learned that early on while trying to capture audio, you know, to analyze for EVP. Mm-hmm. Uh, voice activation, many times, the spirit or what you're trying to capture is just a body voice from. It might take it a while to manifest this energy to get its message out. And 
in the process, they could take it that half second, three quarters of a second to activate the recorder. And if its message is only a second to a second yeah. and a half, well, guess what? You lost half of it. So I do not use voice activation whatsoever, and that would be one recommendation I would give anyone out there. You know, shut that off and just go over straight, you know, recording. All right, here's one that I'm sure you knew you were going to get sometime tonight. This one is from Malcolm. Malcolm lives in Chambly, Quebec. And Malcolm would like to know if orbs are real. That's a good one. And yes, Malcolm, if you're listening, we get that one quite a bit. Orbs is one of the most controversial things out there. Um, in my opinion, 99.9% of photographic orbs that are captured are explainable from, you know, dust, whether it be mm-hmm. dust, moisture, um, maybe flare back, you know, from the flash, or several other reasons. But sometimes you do have that percentage that will pan out and be authentic. It's hard to tell the difference between the two. A lot of it depends on the camera settings. You really have to get it analyzed. And it also depends on the experiences that the individual had during the time that they captured such. You know, if they had temperature readings um, going up or down, erratic EMF readings, Mm Um, other human experiences that could be documented along with that picture, then it might be something more notable than not. Sharon from uh, Dorval, Quebec, would like to know what your opinion of the movie White Noise was. Uh, White Noise, I found a very interesting movie. Um, Even though I do EVP, I'm not an instrumental transcommunications expert. I would Mm -hmm. like to learn a little more about that field. But I found it to be interesting from my understanding. Some of it was a little overplayed and exaggerated possibly than what the real stuff is. But I've never worked with one of those people in the field yet. And that would be probably one of my things on my list now to maybe get someone on our team who has experience in that part and add that as a resource, you know, for our end as well. Is it possible for negative entities to come through like uh, was depicted in White Noise? I think, you know, it's possible that a negative entity could come through anything. Mm -hmm. I think it's not what the person is using, because you have, you know, people out there, Ouija board bad, tarot cards bad, scrying mirrors bad. I think it's more of the person's mind. If the person is trying to open something with their mind that they fully don't understand how to open or how to contain or control, that anything can step through what becomes open and come out. So I think that danger persists in anything, and I even get in arguments with, and have written things with EVP as well when you're trying to capture audio doing it interactively that possibly you could open those doorways if you don't contain your questions the specifics but at least that way you're still not asking the spirit to come into you or something else to communicate but there still are dangers you know all the way through that have to be noted and taken into consideration are Ouija boards really bad? I don't think the board, the Ouija board is a piece of plastic or a piece of, you know, board with the planchette. The board itself isn't bad, and that's, you know, I was getting at the first part here. Mm-hmm. But when you have someone holding on to the planchette or several people, in that case, you are inviting a possible entity to come inside your body to control you to move the planchette. And that's where that invitation is open. It's like, hey, I'm opening my door. Come on in and, you know, give me a message. And that's where the danger aspect comes. But you could do the same thing with a cup of water if you're trying to communicate with a spirit as well. 
same aspect. You mean people try to commun communicate with spirit with a glass of water? No, not necessarily. I was just talking. Oh, I, I see. You're just using that as an example. Right. All right, Greg, stand by. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. Greg Myers is our special guest. Uh, his website is www.paranormaltaskforce.com. And um, if you'd like to find out more about Children of the Grave, the website is www.childrenofthegrave.com. And Greg and I will be back on the other side of this commercial set as the Exxon continues live and around the world from the Talkstar Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. are presented commercial-free. Between movies, we bring you cartoons, soundies, previews, and classic TV. Check our schedule and actually watch online at www.whitesprings.tv. New from the people who brought you Talkstar Radio. Tell your friends there's a new kind of TV. Whitesprings.tv. And welcome back, everyone. Greg Myers is our special guest, uh, www.paranormaltaskforce.com. First of all, Greg, thanks very much for joining us. It's always great having you with us here on the X-Zone. Yeah, I want to thank you, too, Rob. It's been great. You're always a wonderful host of one of the best shows out there. Thanks very much, buddy. Uh, uh, and, too, Tom emailed me. Tom Hall said you had him on in the past, our photographer. He just has a regard and said hi for you. Ah, super. Thanks. Um... Where's your next big investigation going to be? Um, I don't know right now. We have a few Halloween ones. Uh huh. Of course, Halloweeny, eh? The, the location's still private for the radio station here. Right. So I can't disclose that, but we do have a big ongoing one in Potosi, Missouri, of uh, several historic buildings. And that's going to be ongoing as well as another one, the Harney Mansion, out in Sullivan, Missouri. 
and along with our private cases. So we got quite a few going on still. I think we've done about 50 this year. Holy cow. It's like nonstop. Now, out of those 50, how many ghosts did you actually discover? Um, actual ghost ghosts or evidence that would be considered paranormal, uh, probably mm, 15% or less. 15%. Well, that's that's pretty good. That is pretty good. More, that's what I mean. When you do more investigations, you're out there a lot more, so you get a chance to experience a lot mm-hmm. more. Mark, uh, uh, Mark. I was, <laughs> I was reading somebody's email here. Mark from uh, Mississauga would like to know if you have ever been physically assaulted by a ghost. Uh, yes, I have. Uh, that's why I learned um, to be more devout in the faith, um, dealing with a very extreme haunting. Uh, about two and a half years ago, I did mm-hmm. have something that came back to my house. and Besides terrorizing my wife and children um, a few times, it actually pushed me down as, as well in my own bedroom. Wow. So that's where I learned to become devout in a faith. No matter what it is, that's what I'll suggest out there, too, for people. No matter what you believe in, become devout devout with it, you know, before you go out ghost hunting. And before here's you leave a site, do your little prayer or ritual, and tell the spirits they're not invited to, to go home with you. Sometimes that works as well. And here's the follow-up to that question. Have you ever seen, when you see a ghost, is it in three dimensions or is it translucent? Um, the apparitions I have experienced with my own eyes, I saw a three-dimensional shadow person one time, um, which was like a, a dense mm-hmm. substance, um, which was darker, not completely all black, but, you know, a dark gray to black. And another time I saw what would be a vaporous apparition in the daytime where it looked like the heat waves coming off the highway. Yeah. Both times over more in a three-dimensional farm versus two. Greg, we've got to say so long for now. Look forward to the next time when you meet us. A- Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right, one month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details.